Good morning, I'm Daniel Self. And whether you're part of the Orchard family or you're just checking this out, I am glad you've joined us for Resurrection Sunday. Today I want to tell you about a painting that used to hang in the Louvre. It's a masterwork by Friedrich Retsch, famously called Checkmate. This painting is of two men looking across a chessboard. There's, this is no ordinary chess match, though. You see, Retsch's painting captures the moment when the young man's life has been put in checkmate by his opponent, the devil himself. You'll see this younger man as he, he stares intently down at the game in front of him, deep in thought, hand to his forehead, scanning for any remaining moves. While across from him, a sinister man looks, not at the chessboard. He glares at his opponent with a knowing sneer. The young man is obviously worried. He's caught. He's cornered. He's out of moves, out of hope, which is why Wretch titled this Checkmate. I want us to freeze that picture in our minds of that young man whose life is in checkmate. Mary was a young woman when she was told she would be having a baby boy. And months later, she began to feel that flutter within her. The announcement of the baby came with a promise that the life within her wasn't just her son, he was the savior, that he would be the Messiah. She carried this boy for nine months and then in a makeshift delivery room, his first breath and infant cry pierced the night. Jesus had come. You know, an infant can only see 12 inches and that's just far enough to see your mommy's face as they nurse. And Mary and Jesus would sit there staring into each other's faces. Mary with that smile as she looked into his tiny brown Hebrew eyes. He grew. And one day he called her mama. The Bible says that repeatedly that Mary treasured all these things in her heart, as moms often do. She watched her son grow and he was very unique. She knew the promises that she'd been given by the angel, but to, but to see his love for God and people begin to blossom was just amazing. He had so much love. He was, he was so kind. And his mind, he had so much insight and wisdom into God's word that he would ask questions that, that no one knew the answers to. Jesus excelled at his Hebrew schooling and, and soon he was studying to be a rabbi. His wisdom and, and stature continued to rise and, and he became known in his small area. He got some disciples and began traveling around teaching and helping others. Mary was so proud of her boy. He was so wise and so loving, and he shed so much light that he always pointed to God. And she would hear these stories about what her son was doing, miraculous things, healing unhealable things, and, and calming storms in nature, and, and changing lives. But she also heard that he began to get in trouble. He was never a troublemaker, but he fell out of favor with the religious elite. It seems they didn't like their, their firm grip on their religious power being shared by anybody else. She began to hear rumors that they wanted him out of the temple. And then she heard whispers that they wanted him dead. And she held on to the promises she'd been given, but her mother's heart began to worry. It was a shock the night the disciples came running to her house, breathless, and they told her, he's been arrested and then they scattered. They were afraid they'd be arrested too. And then many hours later, a dejected Peter with tears on his cheeks 
all he could choke out was, it's, it's not good. The next morning, she gathered in the city square along with a great crowd of people. Mary couldn't take her eyes off of her bruised son. The Roman ruler asked the crowd, what should I do with this man? And people she knew began to yell, crucify him, crucify him. And when the ruler gave the order to crucify him and a soldier punched her son in the stomach and he doubled over, Mary doubled over in grief as well. They took him away and she didn't see the torture, but she knew what was going to happen. The Bible says he was beaten so bad he was unrecognizable. The next time Mary would see her son was on the street as he struggled to carry his cross. You know, 30 years in the past, if, if this boy had fallen and even scraped his knee, she would run to him and scoop him up and comfort him, but not on this day. She watched in horror as they marched her son up to a hill called the Place of the Skull, Golgotha. They nailed him to a cross and and they raised him up for all to see. And Mary was there. She didn't want to be there, but, but how could she leave her son? His faithful followers, they were absent. But Mary wouldn't abandon. And so she was there when her son breathed his last breath. They took him down. They put him in a tomb and and rolled a big stone in front of it. And Mary stood outside of that tomb, weeping. Inside, behind that stone, was her whole heart, were her dashed hopes. And there we find her. No moves left. Checkmate. From a young age, Kirsty Ennis had always known that she wanted to help the helpless and defend those that needed it. And that's why she joined the Marine Corps shortly after her 17th birthday. Soon, Kirsty found herself deployed to Afghanistan, trading in the typical teenage life for the life of a left-door gunner on a helicopter crew. She would stand there on the edge of the helicopter and operate her 50 caliber machine gun as they went on all sorts of combat missions to receive, retrieve the injured and extract the healthy, combat the enemy or evacuate medical personnel. You know, Kirstie had big dreams for her future, but, but right now she was focused on serving her country, protecting those she loved, and risking her life for those she loved. One deployment turned into a second, and Kirstie went on over 75 combat missions, each with a higher level of risk than civilians ever face. On June 23, 2012, it started just like any other mission. Kirstie made sure she had her rosary and her family picture. She had her mom and her dad and her sister always in her pocket, always with her on every operation. And and this mission was routine. Go pick up some medics and then evacuate some Marines at an extraction point. But Kirstie's helicopter never made it to that extraction point. Kirstie stood there at the left door gun, scanning the ground below when the routine mission became less and less routine. She remembers the pilot's voice coming through earphones. Crash is imminent, crash is imminent. And she, she pushed back from her gun and bumped into the right door gunner who was also trying to find some semblance of shelter, the ground rapidly rising up to meet them. And then everything went black. 
and Kirsty lay there on foreign soil, a lifetime away from those she loved. And while her heart wasn't yet broken, her body was. Kirsty was twisted in the helicopter wreckage. Her, her face, her orbital, her, her skull, her, her jaw, her back, all fractured. Right frontal lobe damaged, ears, eyes, hardly any part of her was unaffected. And her leg, her leg was crushed and twisted. Kirsty lay there going in and out of consciousness, and she doesn't know when exactly, but somebody shouted to the others, I don't think the left door gunner is going to make it. And hope bled out of her and faded, as did her consciousness. Kirsty wanted to someday get married and have kids. She wanted to go to college and get a degree. She wanted to do a lot of things. But those dreams seemed a long way off now. And we, we, we freeze this picture of Kirsty laying broken and faded in the desert sand. No hope. No moves left. Checkmate. Just weeks ago, Julie Pratt got a call from her 87-year-old mother. They called her Bobby. And Bobby told Julie that she was feeling sick. Bobby had a fever, a cough, and... Her chest was tightening. She was in an independent living facility with other grandparents, and the, and the whole place was on lockdown. No one could get in. No one could get out. Bobby's condition continued to rapidly decline, and Julie couldn't get in to see her. On the phone one afternoon, Bobby was so weak, so feverish, so sick, she couldn't even talk to Julie. And Julie hung up the phone and immediately called the staff and pleaded, Someone please go in there. She's going to die alone. And so they did, and they took her 87-year-old mother to a hospital where she was diagnosed with COVID-19, and a dark shadow fell over the family. We've all seen how that goes. Julie and her husband, Doug, couldn't talk to her, couldn't see her, and feared for the worst. And we, we freeze this snapshot of Julie, hanging up the phone, weeping, COVID-19, no moves left. Checkmate. Dr. Steve Ayers is an ER doctor in Aspen, and he married Jenny in a beautiful and joyous wedding ceremony. A day filled with, with hope and, and possibility. Steve and Jenny stood before God and their friends and their family, and they declared that and vowed that they would stay together forever. And as time went on, as all relationships faced, they faced conflict. I mean, anytime you live in close quarters with another person, there's going to be conflict, especially if you're sheltering in place, am I right? They worked through it as best they could, but below the surface, there began to be some questions, and these questions turned to disappointment, and soon disappointment turned to resentment, and Steve and Jenny were facing significant issues. They had issues they didn't know if they could overcome, and they had issues they didn't know if they wanted to overcome. It's amazing how you can sleep right next to somebody and yet your heart can be so far away. Finally, it just became too much. All the dreams and all the feelings from that wedding day were far gone. The hopes they had for a forever marriage, spoiled. They spoke to lawyers. The divorce papers were drawn up. Steve signed his name on the line. Jenny signed her name on the line. 
they turned it into the judge and they waited for his approval so they could put the nail in this coffin and finally just move on. Dreams of a happy marriage, dead. No hope, no moves left, papers signed. And we freeze that snapshot. Checkmate. Grace and, King, uh, Grace and Kiko Pena weren't too concerned when their daughter Alexa got sick. I mean, kids get sick a lot. But little Alexa, who was two, wasn't getting any better. They went to the hospital and they nervously watched as the doctors prodded and poked. She wasn't improving, and for Kiko and Grace, this was excruciating. My wife and Amy and I were actually there with them in the room with Kiko and Grace and Alexa, praying for her, when suddenly alarms went off and 20 medical staff came in the room. It went from a prayer room to a beehive of action. And within no time at all, Alexa was flown to Denver. Kiko and Grace were in shock. She had been fine just days ago, which was why it was so hard to understand what the doctors were telling them now in Denver that their little daughter's brain function was gone. Shocked parents stood next to a tiny bed, hearing the doctor tell them unthinkable things. He said, Alexa's brain will never regain consciousness. He said, you will outlive her. I'm sorry, she will outlive you, but she will never recover. She'll never eat. She'll never talk. She'll never walk. Her brain is dead and... and, and you need to consider what would be best for her body and her future. And Kiko and Grace were given a decision that no parent should ever have to make. I mean, Kiko had dreamed of one day standing next to Alexa and giving her away in marriage as a priest gave his blessing. But instead he found himself standing beside her bed and watching a priest give her final last rites. And we freeze this picture of Kiko and Grace holding Alexa's hand, watching the priest while tears streaked their cheeks and their hearts were broken. No hope, no moves left. Checkmate. Now, perhaps you've never been in any of these situations. Maybe you have. Perhaps you've been in similar circumstances, but the details are different. I mean, we've all stood outside of a tomb of dead dreams and broken hope. For Mary, it was a, little, a literal tomb of her son. But many of us have watched loved ones pass. Checkmate. And Kirsty outside the tomb of her future in that crashed helicopter. And maybe you've stood outside the wreckage of your own life and your dashed dreams. Checkmate. Julie outside the tomb of her 87-year-old mother's COVID-19 judgment. And lately, many of us have come down with this anxiety from this, or testing, or waiting, or confirmation. Checkmate. Steve and Jenny standing outside the tomb of a dead marriage. And perhaps right now you're considering that very thing, or perhaps you've been through this. Checkmate. Kiko and Grace outside the tomb of the hopes they had for their daughter. And perhaps you've felt the cold chill of a doctor's diagnosis for you or a loved one. Checkmate. Maybe for you it's, it's deeper and more secret. 
You don't know exactly when your vices got the best of you. But you know this, if, if you were truly honest, there are things you just can't seem to quit. And it's taken its toll on your life. And you would give anything to just be free. And you stand outside of the tomb of the man or the woman you wished you could have been. But your desires and vices seem to make your decisions for you. You've given up hope. No moves left. Checkmate. Maybe you were truly the victim of something. Somewhere in your past, something was stolen from you. Maybe your innocence. And the ripple effect of that has gone through your entire life. And you stand outside the tomb of the life that was taken from you. Because your past still dictates your present. And your past is determining your future. No hope. No moves left. Checkmate. You know, we've all experienced moments like these in one way or another. And maybe you're facing one right now where hope seems dead, where you have no moves left. Where are you right at this minute, minute in Checkmate? You know, Friedrich Retsch's painting hung in the Louvre and many people crowded around to see it. The museum curator was thrilled to have Checkmate in the museum and he got in contact with a world-famous chess master to ask him to come view this masterpiece. Well, the chess master accepted and he arrived at the museum. He worked his way through, stopping at some paintings for a moment and others at a minute, and finally the curator ushered him through the crowd to stand before Wretch's painting of Checkmate. Now, obviously, the chess master enjoyed the themes of chess being a metaphor for life. He, he viewed his whole life as a chess game. He looked over and he saw the young man, his face down with worry as he was losing everything. And he, had, he knew that, that face of re resignation. He'd, he'd seen it on many of his opponent's faces. He looked across the chessboard and he saw the evil in the man who was winning. And the curator informed him that this was a representation of, of Satan stealing the dreams and the future from this poor young man. And the chess master nodded and thought to himself that checkmate was a very fitting title for the young man's life and future were indeed forfeit. The curator stood beaming. He loved art, but more than he loved art, he loved to watch people look at the art. He stood there, not, not looking at checkmate, but staring at the chess master to see his face and how he responded. And he can see that the chess master was lost in the complexity of what he was viewing. And the chess master stood there for quite some time, just, just taking it all in. When suddenly, as he gazed into it, his, his brow furrowed. Something began to trouble him. He, he couldn't put his finger quite on what it was but without turning his head, he, he spoke to the curator, Sir, this painting, there's, there's something wrong. The curator was a bit taken back and he chortled, <laughs> My good sir, this is the work of a master. I assure you that every single stroke is right where it's meant to be. The chess master said, No, 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 you don't understand. Something is wrong. The curator's brow furrowed as well. This, this was not going the way he had hoped. And he, he looked around at the surrounding crowd and heard their murmurs as, as they watched as well. Undeterred, the chess master leaned forward towards checkmate and seemed to take in the smallest detail. 
The crowd leaned in toward the master, wondering what he was searching for, and the curator fell silent, recognizing that the chess master was deep involved, deeply involved in the painting. Everyone was silent, everyone still, the air pregnant with questions. When suddenly, the chess master's brows shot up, his breath caught. <gasps> this painting, checkmate, the young man. The curator said, yes, yes, <laughs> a bit embarrassed. What is it, what is it? The chess master, still eyes wide, but the smallest smile beginning to break across his face. The man, the board, it's not checkmate. Sir, the uh, curator chided, it's, it's not checkmate. The man's not in checkmate, it's not over. The curator at this point, he, he turned toward the painting and looked at the board himself trying to figure anything out. How, how can this be? But the chess master blurted out loud enough for everyone to hear, it's his king. The king has one more move. The king has one more move. Kirsty Ennis left Gunner, now laying there on the gurney, medic declaring that he didn't think she was going to make it. Her face and her body and her limbs broken, future hopes and dreams crashed and burned. And, and even if you survive, how do you thrive to go on to dream again after this? Checkmate. But the king has one more move. And Kirsty survived that first day, and she fought through every single difficult day since. And none have been easy. Over 40 surgeries in some dark valleys, she's come to have a new perspective on life. She's been given a miracle, and now she gives back, passing it on to others. When life declared her dead at worst or crippled at best, the king had one more move. Kirsty summoned Kilimanjaro and then set her sights on climbing the highest summit on every continent, all with one leg. With her frontal lobe affected, it hasn't stopped her from getting three masters and right now working to get her doctorate. In January of 2020, the Martin Luther King family chose Kirsty as the recipient of the Higher Ground Award. In overcoming all adversities, she's the youngest female inductee ever into the International Sports Hall of Fame. Kirsty has risen way above and well beyond the wreckage of that helicopter. ESPN awarded her the Pat Tillman Service Award, and in her speech, she said, I want to be a beacon of hope. And she is. And through her nonprofit work, many find hope. For Kirsty, the king had one more move. The king always has one more move. 87-year-old Bobby was in the hospital with COVID-19, and we all know how that should go. Her family couldn't see her and wondered if they would ever talk to her again. 87 with a fever and a cough and a tight chest. Checkmate. But the king had one more move. And Bobby, whose faith in God has always been her anchor, is now at home, fully recovered. And Julie and the rest of the family will soon see their beloved mother again. The king has one more move. Steve and Jenny knew their signed divorce papers were on the judge's desk, and the day before he was going to stamp them, Jenny found herself in an estate sale, selling off her memories to people. Tomorrow, it would be official. She moved on autopilot. Checkmate. But the king had one more move. Steve drove up to exchange some things, and there, through some awkward conversation, something curious began to happen. The tomb of the marriage began to shake. Hope began to glisten in the corner of their vision, and the stone in front of their marriage rolled away, and somebody got a call that day, the judge, and they told him, stop, don't sign the papers, tear them up. The king has one more move. 
And Steve and Jenny find themselves today, many years past that estate sale. They've adopted two beautiful, wonderful girls, and they have fought tooth and nail for each other. The king has one more move. The king always has one more move. Kiko and Grace knelt there beside their daughter Alexis' bed. She was hooked up to every machine in the hospital. Last rites given, all hopes gone. Checkmate. But the king had one more move. And Alexis' brain began to flicker, as did the hopes of Kiko and Grace. And they watched her eyes as they, they blinked and, and focused on them. And, and Grace asked, do you see Poppy? And Alexa's mind understanding, her eyes went to her daddy. Alexa wasn't supposed to walk or talk ever again, but the king had one more move. And today, Alexa is a beautiful eight-year-old. She's excelling in school, running around, and being the girl that God created her to be. The king always has one more move. And Mary, she awoke that Sunday morning, exhausted. She didn't know when she'd fallen asleep or how long, but her pillow was still damp from the tears. Her chest hurt from sobbing. Her head ached from the strain. But more than anything, it was her heart that was broken. It hurt to move. It hurt to breathe. It hurt to be alive. She was so sad. Her son, her baby boy, had been crushed in front of her. And she started to stir. She had wanted to go to the tomb that morning with Mary Magdalene, but they had let her sleep in. Oh, Jesus, my precious boy, she sighed, holding off a wave of tears. She sat there, wanting to go to the tomb, and at the same time, wanting to do anything else but go to that god-awful place. And downstairs, she heard a commotion, pounding on the door outside, and then feet running through the house, and then she heard shouts below, and she thought, maybe it's the Roman soldiers. Maybe they're here to get me, too. And that's fine. She didn't care. They could never hurt her more than they already have. Checkmate. She heard the footfalls come up the stairs and closer, and then a fast knock on the door. Before she could even speak, the door opened, and it was John, faithful disciple John, eyes wide and wild. John, what's, what's wrong? Are they here for us? John could, could barely speak, could barely get words out. Mary, it, it's Jesus. He's, what is it, John? Did they take his body? No, Mary, Jesus is alive. Mary couldn't move. She couldn't think. She, could she hope? Just as he said what happened, he's risen, Mary. He's the Messiah. The king has one more move. The king always has one more move. To those watching, their finances or businesses crumble. The king has one more move. To those who find themselves with, with hopes dying in the future, the king has one more move. To those who have addictions and vices that are making decisions for you and robbing your life, the king has one more move. To those struck with the virus or infected by the anxiety and panic, the king has one more move. To those whose marriages or relationships are breaking or broken, the king has one more move. And for those whose pasts still haunt their present, the king has one more move. The king always has one more move. And for some like Bobby and Kiko and Grace, God intervenes and saves the day. And for others like Mary, God lets the dreams die and then resurrects new dreams there. And for many like Steve and, and Jenny and Kirsty, the dreams die, and in their place, the king grows new dreams of grander size. The king always has one more move. So what tomb are you standing outside of today? What story would I tell of your life? Where are you in checkmate today? What dreams do you have that are dead? 
What grave is your hope buried in? Because 2,000 years ago, hope moved a stone and walked out of the tomb. And because of the resurrection of hope, you can begin to hope again today. No matter how lost, no matter how empty, no matter how broken, and no matter how far you feel from God, the king has one more move. And you can hope because Jesus Christ rose from the grave and is calling you to a new life. You see, when our souls were lost and humanity was in checkmate, the king had one more move, the most daring and selfless move of all, a move of sacrifice and love. As John 3.16 says, For the king so loved you, he gave his son Jesus. And if you put your faith in Jesus... You will not die, but have eternal life. Today, this offer is for you because the king has one more move and he invites you to come to him. He has freedom and peace and forgiveness and hope. He wants to weave into your story. The offer of Jesus is this, forgiveness in your past, peace in your present, and hope for your future. And Jesus himself declared in John 10, 10, I came to give you life and life to the full. 2 Corinthians 2, 17 proclaims that when we come to Jesus, we become a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. And this is all available to you. This is God's offer to you. It's real. And perhaps you felt God calling you. This offer is extended to you today. And you can receive salvation with Jesus this very moment. God's word clearly states that if you believe in your heart and you speak with your mouth that Jesus Christ was dead and rose again, that you will be saved. So today, the king offers you the greatest move of all, salvation. And this move changes everything. This changes your past, your present, and your destiny. And if you would like to receive this offer of salvation, you can pray with me right now. Would you pray with me? Would you speak out loud with me and believe in your heart these words? Pray with me. Jesus, I need you. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. I confess my sin and I give you my heart. Be my Savior. Holy Spirit, fill me. My life is yours. Amen. If you pray that prayer, as the Bible said and I said previously, the old is gone and the new has come. And I want to talk with you. We'll get to that in a minute. But for some of us listening here today, we've made this decision at some point in our past or maybe just very moment. Today's a good moment to be reminded that if you've chosen to believe in Jesus, you are a daughter or a son of the King who always has one more move. So no matter what you're facing this very second, there's always room for God to work. As we go through these difficult times, never let the presence of crisis cause you to doubt the presence of Christ. And for those who believe in Jesus, that he's your savior, remember this truth. Do not let your life be, be defined by crisis because you're already defined by the cross. Jesus gave his life so that you could truly live. 
And he has one more move left still. I want to thank you for being a part of the Orchard Resurrection Sunday service. Maybe you have questions from what you've heard today. Or more importantly, if, if you made a decision and you prayed to receive Jesus today, I want to hear from you. And so you can email me directly at daniel at theorchardlife.com or go to our website, theorchardlife.com for more information. Orchard, as your pastor, I pray for you and I love you deeply. Love God, love people. I'll see you next week.